issues. We received a phone call last week that a friend of ours in Ukraine said, if war breaks out, can our daughter stay with you? Called me back. War started. He said, can my daughter and my niece stay with you? Sure, of course. Then later, we can't get them through the border. I don't understand all that God's doing. But I do know God is still at work. We've got a bad echo inside the auditorium. God is still at work. You may just need to bring down this one speaker for me. One of the things when you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it brings a change of behavior. And that's true for all of us. Think about that first time when you came to know Christ. Do you remember that? No, I I don't know what age you were. Do you remember the change that you experienced? Something happened in your life. And for some people, it's dramatic. It's this massive thing where it's like they're really bad people one day and they're pretty good people the next. It's like others, it's this change that takes place over time. But salvation always brings a change in behavior. There's something that uh, many of you know that my uh, first bachelor's degree, and yes, I'm one of those weird people that have two of them, is religious studies and psychology. Psychologists often define learning as a relatively permanent change in behavior as a result of experience. One of the things that we learned or that we were taught is that true learning has not taken place until there is a change in behavior. Often we get data coming in, information's in the brain, but it's not been applied to our lives. And when it comes to the Word of God, so often we start with data in information in versus in but we don't take the time to think about how do we live it out you know paul uh paul actually i meant pastor john pastor and paul both start with p's therefore (laughs) Last week, Pastor John was preaching about how when the the persecution came on that early church and they went out fleeing persecution and they proclaimed the Lord Jesus Christ as they were going. They weren't trying to go as missionaries, but by nature they proclaimed Christ And Philip was one of those that had left and he went into Samaria and and we read where, where many were accepting Jesus Christ. They were listening to what he said. And there were all kinds of wonderful miracles that are taking place. 
And we just see there in Samaria how God was working in this amazing way. And that's where we pick up the story this week in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, I'll start reading with verse 9 and read down through verse 25. Acts 8, 9 through 25. And this is still under the preaching of Philip in Samaria. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered, their mo offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in gall of bitterness, bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we've prayed this morning for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia that, Lord, we see in your word that persecution scattered the people, but they continue to proclaim. Lord, give us the faithfulness. As Pastor John was praying that there's many right within our, our congregation that needs your touch, your healing. Lord, work in our hearts that we see the change of behavior that we are to have as believers in you. 
In the name of Jesus, amen. It's rather interesting. Here is Simon. He's this magician. We see there in the first verse I read in verse 9 that he had previously practiced magic and he, had just, he just amazed the people. And Simon, it, it's like uh, today you can go through the malls all across Europe and, and even here and people have the tarot cards and, and, and they're, they're reading the tarot cards or you go and you call and there's psychic hot, uh, hotlines that you can call and, and that is just another form. I mean, these people today are still deceiving people with their, quote, magic and Simon was one of these that he is, he, he's just amazing the people with what all that he is doing. And he claimed to be somebody great. He himself claimed that. And all the people in verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying this man is the power of God that is called great. Everybody's listening to Simon. Wow, look at what Simon's doing. This has got to be the power of God. This has got to be the great God. You know, there's a lot of false gods out there. What does the Bible call, or who does the Bible call the God of this world? Satan himself. What does it say about Satan? He appears as an angel of light. He can do good things to deceive people. Jesus said, pray that the light in you is not darkness. All the religions will say, go to the light. Just follow that light that's inside of you. And Jesus comes along and he says, that light is actually darkness. It's not the light of God. It's not the light of the world. And Simon, he's just deceiving the people. And he thinks he is something. He is the power of God himself. That's what the people think of him. And he's just amazing them with his magic. They paid attention to him because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. It wasn't a splash in the pan. It was quick, or a quick thing. It was a long-term thing that was happening, and he is amazing the people. But something happened. <laughs> something happened. Look at verse 12. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm, my voice is kind of pitching up. I don't know why. I guess it's just that time of life. Hit my second childhood. <laughs> Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. When the people believed Philip, apparently they stopped listening to Simon. You know, the Bible doesn't say, point blank, they didn't listen to Simon anymore. They said, Simon was doing this, but when the people believed, this happened. And look what the people did. First they believed, then they followed up that belief in baptism. 
which if you look through, I mean, baptism comes up like 23 times in the book of Acts. It's what we call it, believer's baptism. The baptism after you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. They believed what Philip was saying. They acted it out, their, their redemption and their new life by being baptized. And it was men and women. It, it, people are listening to him. Luke, very interestingly, he likes to point out the role of women in his writings, both in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. Because he was not Jewish background. He was a Gentile, a Greek, that had come to Christ under the teaching and preaching of Paul. And so he wants to very specifically spell out the men and women came to know Jesus Christ, men and women were being baptized. Because it was a very different role for the women in the society. He said, everybody's believing Philip. We see in verse 13, even Simon. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Look at this. Simon believed. Simon followed in baptism. Simon continued working with Philip. Simon saw signs and miracles. And Simon was amazed. This is the guy. He's been amazing everybody. I am somebody I am the guy. I am special. I am the one. I am the power of God. Now he's watching Philip and he's going, wow, man, that is so cool. Okay, that's a little bit of a, a modern vernacular, but you see what's happening. This is the guy that was amazing people. Now he's being amazed by the true power of God. People thought he was the power of God. He's seeing the power of God. And it's like, wow. Simon is amazed. The church in Jerusalem, they hear, hey, something's going on in Samaria. What? You really mean that the Samaritans are coming to know Jesus? Yeah, the Samaritans. And so Peter and John... Go to Samaria in verse 14. Now the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Peter and John came to help. Peter and John, they were leaders in the church. Philip was one of the what became later the, the role of deacon. He was the one that helped feed little old ladies in the church. He was taking care of the widows, those ladies that didn't have family to take care of them. He's taking them food. But he was also quite an evangelist. We call him Philip an evangelist because he's always proclaiming Jesus Christ. Philip, or, um, Peter and John, they go down to see what's happening. And the people are believing they're being baptized, but they're not seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. 
And so they began to lay their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a second. Doesn't this contradict what John had said earlier? In Acts chapter 5, verse 32, John, teaching to the Pharisees, or preaching to the Pharisees, said, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. If we obey and follow Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. So what is going on in this situation? Well, a little bit later, we're going to see where Peter goes and he preaches to a household of a man named Cornelius. And the Holy Spirit falls on all the people before they're baptized. You know, God works differently in every situation. God was doing something different here. God works differently in every situation. One time I was in a military training school and it was for the uh, primary leadership development course I could, so I could get my sergeant stripes. <laughs> and they're sitting there and they're talking about how you can never take from one situation and directly apply what you do there to a new one. Because every situation is different and you have to reanalyze the situation. One of the guys sitting there, he gets this kind of troubled look on his face and he said, so every situation is the same in that every situation is different. And the answer is yes. Every situation is different. God was working differently. And Simon sees that the people are receiving the Holy Spirit. And he is still amazed. We don't know. It doesn't tell us what all of the, the things that were happening. What we do see in verse 18, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Simon wants to buy the Holy Spirit. He wants the power. Then give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He wants the power. He sees it's amazing. Wow. Man, this is really cool. I want that. I want to be able to lay my hands on people and they get the Holy Spirit. He wants the power that I too may have this power. Give me this power also. That's what he wants. He wants the power. He's not wanting to bless people's lives with the Holy Spirit. He's not really wanting to help people. He says, I want the power. And Peter makes a very, very interesting reply. Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, 
that phrase, that phrase, may your silver perish with you. That's kind of a nice, polite way of saying, take your money and you know where you can go with it. May you perish. You think you can buy God? Peter's got very harsh, harsh words. It's one of the things when you, when you take Greek classes and you, you're studying the Bible languages and you realize, wow, these were harsh words. You take your money and you know where you can go. That you think you can buy God? You've got nothing to do with God. That you think this. Peter, very, very harsh words. He's saying, you've got no part of God. You've got the gall of bitterness, the bile. You know, sometimes I get stomach problems. And it is that horrible feeling when that you burp that stuff up. And that makes you sick. That's what Peter is saying is in Simon's heart. That's it. It's the gall of bitterness. But you know, he didn't stop the message there. He said, repent. I'll tell you what, after the, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, that word repent became one of his favorite words. I don't know how many times he said it. I, I didn't count it up. But on the day of Pentecost, he called for the people to repent. When he's arrested, he called for the people to repent. When Simon tries to buy God, he says, repent. Remember the words, if you were here when we were talking about that first message on the day of Pentecost, when the people were cut to the heart. That's where real repentance comes. It's from the heart where it's like, I am so sorry I did this. Peter calls on Simon to repent. And Simon responds with a request for prayer. Simon asks Peter to pray for him. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, I'm not sure why he said, Peter, you pray for me. Why he didn't just say, Simon then prayed. It doesn't, it doesn't say what Simon did next. What did Peter do? I don't know. The Bible does not tell us. It stops the story. I was reading the story Monday, and I'm like, no! You know? It's a movie without ending. I had a friend who worked in a movie theater one time, and he left two real, in the old film that went, 
He one time left two rolls out. He accidentally ran the, the, the last roll. And it's like this movie ended with nothing resolved. And just poof, at the end. And I'm like that. It's like, what happened? <laughs> what happened to Simon? What happened to Peter? What, what, what was next? I don't know. All I know is in verse 24, or, uh, 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages in, to the, of the Samaritans. They went home preaching the gospel as they went. It's very interesting in uh, Monday morning. I'm sitting there Monday morning, and the way I tend to prepare a message is when it's the passage of Scripture, I'll read it on Monday morning, and Monday mornings is just a meditation time. I read the passage, and I think on the passage. I just sit there and start thinking. And when I'm in there thinking about this passage, a whole new insight came to me. Which triggered another, which triggered another, which triggered another, which triggered another. I mean, it wasn't like pop, pop, pop. It was like, boop. all these ideas, all these verses just began pouring into my head. And I'm sitting there on Monday morning with this whole new insight into the passage. Because I realized that we all Every single one of us, we all want to barter with God. That's one of the applications. When we come to applying this to our lives, think about the student's prayer. We got a lot of students. My version of the student's prayer it's, Lord, if you will really help me on this test so I do well today, I'll study more next time. <laughs> Have you ever prayed that as students? Lord, if you really help me, I'll study more next time. I really will. And God says, you really want to try to make a deal with me? You said that last week. <laughs> you know? God wants to be honest. We all do. How many parents have stood by the bed of a sick child. I said, Lord, please, if, if, if you will just spare my child, I'll make sure he grows up in church or she'll grow up in church. And you can see the aching heart of a parent in that situation. We all want to barter with God. We all fall back to what we know. We all have that tendency to go back to that place in life where we knew what was going on. Unfortunately, that's often back to the place before we came to know Christ. We all want to go back to that place. It is actually hardwired into the neurology of the human brain. That tendency to go back to that familiar point is biologically hardwired into our brains. 
that is one of those things that hit me Monday morning. And sitting there Monday morning, and I thought, why was it Simon went back to his life before Christ? That's the tendency of us all. Every human being goes back. The human brain craves familiarity. That's hard to say. We all like to be around what we know. How many times have you been in a, a, a group and you're talking and someone new steps up and they just stand there for a while and not say anything? And the conversation just carries on with the original group. It's the human brain. That, that, that group's familiar. It's hard to bring in somebody. The neurology of the human brain. I got into uh, neuroleadership, which is one of the, well, I'm no longer officially a member of the Neuroleadership Institute, um, but I've literally took training in New York City, which is on one coast, and in Seattle, Washington, which is on the other coast. I can literally say, without lying, I have been from one end of America to the other studying the neurology of the human brain and how that affects our decisions. Actually, in my dissertation, we had to write that in. That was part of it, the neurology of decision-making. I came into that actually from the training that I had received, the, the, the neuro coaching and the neuro leadership because they're learning so much about how the human brain functions that even what we thought was going on uh, five and ten years ago, we realized, no, that's not how the brain really works. And we're learning so much. We learn to have to learn to adapt, but there is one thing that always comes back is that in our mind, we want to come back to that safe place where we know what is happening. Security is one of the things that human beings face. But so is familiarity. The brain is constantly searching for what is familiar. That is why when human beings see each other, the first thing they notice are the differences. If you live in a white family in a white community, and a black person comes, what's the first thing you notice? Their skin's dark. Why? That's the difference. That's the difference. You notice that. You're seeing that. It's outside of the familiar and the comfortable and what's, what's happening right there. That is the neurology of the human brain. Simon, that new insight that I set there was that Simon just simply reverted back to what he knew. It was a biological thing. Now there's spiritual things going on too, especially from Peter's response. Peter saw more than we did. Peter saw more. 
So I don't want to cut down Peter's response, but I sit there Monday morning with all of those things popping through my head, download, just that, that, that information download that I just like, I felt like my head was going to explode. I'm sitting there and suddenly I couldn't judge Simon anymore because we all revert back to what we know. And this can be for good or for bad. We tend to revert back to what we know, and it can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. I'm sitting there Monday morning, and a phrase came to my mind. This is, this is actually a hard copy of my master's thesis. The strategic use of summer missionaries in, a rapid, church, in rapid church planting in an overseas cross-cultural setting. That's the title. Change that into a statement and you've got the thesis statement. It was just like, that hit all of it. Right there. And it was a project. I mean, it was one summer long, but it took over a year to analyze all the data that came in. But I want you to listen to this, please. Because this is where I make the confession. This is directly from lessons learned. This is the first lesson. Lessons learned. The project overall was a great learning experience for me. Transitioning from survey work with information gathering as its main focus to evangelism and church planting has proven more difficult than expected. Many times I found myself thinking something along the lines of last summer we dot dot dot. The work for this summer was not the same and really could not be compared to the work of the previous two summers. Those are my words. I was working. I had to change focus. I had to change what I was doing. And where'd my brain go? My brain went back to what I knew. Man, the previous two summers, one, they were really fun. It was a really good project. And I really liked it. <laughs> it, was, it was really fun. Okay, this project was fun too, but just not the same. All along, for a whole summer, I struggled with wanting to go back to how I had done things the previous two years. Monday morning, I reach over from my bookshelf and I pull this off and I look for that phrase. And you know what? You can go back through here and you will find all over the place where I confess my struggles with transitioning to something new. We all every single one of us have a tendency to go back to what we know. In flight instruction, this is one of the things when I was still actively working as a flight instructor, when we're in training, they say, you have to teach it right the first time. Because you can never teach it the first time twice. People always tend to go back to how they first learned it. And you know what? That's in any field. How many of you work with chemistry? 
or physics. If you know chemistry and physics, yeah, you know that. You know, in elementary school, you draw a little circle for an atom and you say, that's the nucleus. And then you draw this little circle and you say, well, it has two electrons there. Then you draw another circle and you say, all those electrons are out there and you say, it tells all these shells. And then you get up and pretty soon you're into a physics class and they say, you know, that works kind of for understanding, but that's not how it works. <laughs> you have to unlearn that process. You have to unlearn of thinking of an atom in little circles. And you have to realize, oh no, okay, these shells were completely different. This isn't how it functions, and if I try to keep that old model in my head, it doesn't. It doesn't allow you to learn the new. But when somebody says something to me about an atom, what do I see in my brain? I see a little nucleus. I see a shell with two little electrons. And I see another shell. And I can't remember how many it goes out. I, uh, but it's a struggle. That happens in every single area of life. It happens. Our mission board. It, it, I'm sitting there Monday morning. I'm reading my own words. I'm thinking about our mission board. The very organization that sends us. Nobody comes as a career missionary their first term. You have to come as an apprentice first. You come as an apprentice and you're teamed up with a mentor. The number one purpose of that is to unlearn what you knew. We do that. You spend the first four years unlearning so that you can move on to something new. But then, but then when you're in a leadership meeting and you're getting all the team leaders together, you know what we talk about? Best practices. <laughs> this is the best way to do this. Boy, this is the best way we can learn from each other. Every situation is different. Yeah, we can learn from each other. Why do we go together and we start talking about best practices? Because we always have. It's really hard for us to make the change. We all fall back to what we have known. And do you know how long it takes to form that connection? Earlier I said, have you ever been standing in a group and you're talking and somebody new comes up and it's really hard to bring in the conversation? It's that quick. Some of the studies that were in the literature review for my dissertation, actual studies that were going on, they brought a group together and it was design a poster for something. And they let this group work for 20 minutes and then they would bring a new person into the group. And they were given a new assignment. And on the first study, that, that this one particular university had done, they actually brought in an expert on the new topic. And people didn't listen because they had already formed that initial group. They had become familiar with each other. They had become familiar. And 
so they wouldn't listen to the expert. Well, that's not really a fair trial in my head because I'm thinking most experts talk so high over other people's levels that if you don't have a lot of exposure to a specific topic, then it could just be misunderstanding. So they redid the test. They redid it. And they just brought in another person. I'm getting motion that it's time. <laughs> they brought in another person. It's just an average person. Same thing happened. I did this in Ukraine. We were doing a team build. And we broke up into three groups. In each of the groups, they were working on a discussion question that was pretty personal. And they're talking. And then I made one person move from each group. So they just did a cycle, so everybody left. And the purpose of the second one was really to know what it's like as that outsider coming into the group. And I asked them, what did it feel like? I felt like they were taking all my secrets to the other group. What did it feel like coming into the group? The second group never bonded. They didn't have the same feeling. That all happens the same. In Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, you see the same thing. You have to develop new habits. In the world of business, Peter Drucker talks about this. In the, the management for the 21st century, you see that, that, that this is going to be hard, that they have to change the new ways. And we come to a very practical application. The practical application, number one, you need to avoid areas where you know you have a problem. Stay away from the temptation to go back. That's why Alcoholics Anonymous says, don't go visit friends in bars if you struggle with drinking. I don't care how long you've been sober, you don't go back to that environment. You stay away from areas where you know you have the temptation but you also have to intentionally re-examine your life daily. And you have to create the new habits for good. You have to constantly go through the process of taking off the old nature to put on the new. Colossians 3, um, chapter, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. We constantly have to go through because it is hardwired into our brain to go back to the old life if we are not careful, if we do not create the new habits in our lives. We can be like Simon and go back and be tempted by the power we can go back and be tempted. So in a call to action, what do you need to do? One, what behavior do you need to change? And we all have them. I don't care who you are. We all have ha ha habits and behaviors we need to change. But there's a more critical question have you truly taken off the old self 
and put on the new self? Have you truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is the Lord Jesus Christ working in your life to transform you into the person you should be?